So we are carrying on in our um, Philippians series this morning, and just by a, a brief way of introduction before um, Sarah reads the passage that we're looking at, um, Paul himself is in prison, and he has received a gift from the Philippian church. Now he wants to send this letter back to uh, the Philippian church and give them a bit of an update of how they're going. There is an impending trial for, for Paul, uh, and there's a very real possibility that that could uh, end in a death sentence for him. <laughs> but nonetheless, he is thankful and he is full of joy. And Paul writes to uh, the Philippians to encourage them in, um, in, in that. So, Sarah, do you want to... Starting at verse 12. Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry but others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defence of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I'm in chains. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice. For I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage, so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labour for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far, but it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and I will continue with all of you for your progress and join the faith, so that through my being with you again, your boasting in Christ Jesus will abound on account of me. Amen. Isn't that an encouraging passage? In fact, Gordon Fee of this passage says that it's one of the apostles' finer moments, a passage to which God's people have turned to over and over again to find encouragement and strength in times of difficulty. And uh, that's what I want to look at this morning. How do we find strength and encouragement in times of difficulty? I'm just aware as we are worshipping how many hands were going up, and I just, I'm just conscious I want to be sensitive and compassionate to the fact that there are that people are going through things amongst us. And, but the thing is, whether we are presently going through a trial now or, or not, it's so important to let a word like this shape us yeah. so that when it does come, we have the mindset of Christ ready to, to carry us through. Because he has promised that with, uh, with his help, we can overcome. Yes. Amen? Yes. And as I was uh, preparing for this preach, I had a, sort of a picture of a of one of these, of a, of, a, of a speed sign on the sharp corner. And a passage like this is like a, 
it's like, it's like a speed adjustment to help us navigate these sharp corners in our life. You know, sometimes we just, you know, you know, we're just headed along the straight, everything seems fine, but it's not a matter of, of if, but when a sharp corner will come. And a passage like this helps us to navigate it without just veering off the side of the cliff. And so it's in God's grace that he gives us passage like this to help us with the mindset and the encouragement to get through these times. Amen? I'm fascinated, actually. Even there's Christ in agony and distress. He has somehow, with a faith in a loving Father and a mindset, he is able to get through it and say, not my will be done, but yours. And, on the, uh, and in it, he finds joy. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. And so there's something in the mind of Christ, there's something in the mindset of Christ that Paul demonstrates that we can learn from uh, to help us through these times. So what I want to do is just take a few phrases. Uh, to be honest with you, I'm probably going to get through about two verses. <laughs> so it's like, you know, if I went through every verse, it'd be like Wednesday morning, all right, time to pick the kids up, but... Um, but I might just get through two verses, but what I'm hoping is I can share something of the heart and passion of Paul in it that flavors the whole passage anyway. Uh, Amen? So um, we're going to start here in uh, the second half of verse 18, where Paul says, yes, and I will continue to rejoice. Now, right before this passage, uh, Paul gives his, uh, his reason for his current joy, his present joy. He says, even though I'm in prison, these amazing things are happening, and because of that, I rejoice. And then he says, yes, and I will continue to rejoice. This phrase is a deeply personal insight into Paul's mindset, which is one firmly set on joy and thankfulness and rejoicing, regardless of the circumstances. No matter what he goes through, he is able to frame it in joy. In fact, this whole passage is framed in joy. Verse 18 and 25 bookend what we are looking at today in joy. And it kind of got me thinking, actually, a picture frame is not a bad analogy of joy. You see, no matter what happens inside that picture, in Christ we have, we have the ability, we have the privilege, we have the help by the Holy Spirit to have a deep sense of peace and joy no matter what we're going through. So for Paul, if he's on cloud nine, if everything's going well, he is able to rejoice. Likewise, if he is in a dark and gloomy Romy dungeon, Romy, Roman, Roman, Romy, didn't know, Roman dungeon, he still is able to say, I am rejoicing and yes, I will continue to rejoice. The Philippian church, something must have rubbed off on, on them from Paul as well, because Paul is able to boast uh, to the Corinthian church about these guys and say, even though they faced extreme poverty and a severe test of affliction, when it was framed in joy, it overflowed in their generosity. Did you catch that? Severe affliction and poverty, when framed in joy for the Philippians, overflowed to generosity. That I mean, I'm not much of a mathematician, but that's like, you know, poverty plus joy equals generosity. You know, it is able to, we are able to walk through this life with God's help, framed in joy, in in ways that are just completely unexpected. You know, I have nothing, but with the joy of Christ, I am able to give everything. 
And with that question, I have to ask you guys, who would like more joy? <laughs> no, no, who needs more joy? Who doesn't want their circumstance to dictate their joy, but who wants their joy to transform their mind in their circumstance? It's like, <laughs> yeah, me, 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 please. <laughs> yeah, it's like, when we go through these books, you have to be quite strong in grace to preach about things, but you just feel like an infant in yourself. It's like, yeah, I need more joy. I want to say like Nehemiah, the joy of the Lord is my strength. That's what navigates me through those sharp corners. You know, God willing, I've got decades ahead of me, and I want to, I want to be able to navigate those sharp corners strengthened with joy. Now, I'm sure there's lots of ways that we can grow in joy. I was just talking to a dear friend, uh, even just before this, uh, the church this morning, and just talking about some of the ways that they're just, you know, going through some hard times, but growing in joy. There's many ways. You know, we can find joy in, in our relationships, and our family. So Paul can say to the Philippians, you are my joy. And we can find joy in our identity in Christ, that we are sons and daughters, and our significance and value and worth is all about who we belong to and not what we can do. We can find joy in the fact that we will live, <laughs> that there is a promise of eternal life, a future resurrected body and a new earth, and new heavens, no sickness, no pain. We can take joy that God promises that as well. So many ways we can grow in joy. Well, I've been stirred in just one way that I want to share with you this morning, and that is um, quite relevant for what we're looking at this morning in John chapter 15. And Jesus says, hey guys, I'm going to tell you something. And if you grasp this, if you grow in this, my joy will be in you. Not the world's counterfeit joy, but my deep, peaceful joy will be in you and it will be complete. It will be overflowing. It will be abundant. I'm like, anyone listening? Yeah, yeah, I'm up for this. What is he talking about? Well, John 15, he says, obey my commandments. At first I'm like, well, you know, I command you to do this doesn't sound like a lot of joy. But he says, no, obey my commandments. And if you obey my commandments, you will abide in my love. Your life will be fruitful. And one of those fruits will be overflowing joy. And do you know what his commandment is? Simply that we love one another. No greater, says Christ, no greater love can you show than to lay down your life for one another. And he says, I tell you this, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. Jesus found joy not by focusing on his own joy, but by being willing to lay down his life and his everything for others, even though it cost him greatly. So Hebrews says, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. He laid down his life. I'm just so incredibly challenged by that. You know, by this idea of, it's this, it's this paradoxical upside down thing where it's like, if I want to grow in joy, I need to almost lay down my right to joy and serve other people. And in that, Jesus promises that we will find joy and we will find it to the fullest. Service and sacrifice for others is the upside-down means by which we find joy and the ability to rejoice. And I would suggest 
reading between the lines in Philippians that maybe that they've forgotten this, maybe that there's a lack of joy, maybe that they would have put their hand up too when I asked you the question at the start. I mean, you've got key leaders who are disputing with one another. Paul has to say, don't do anything with grumbling and arguing. You know, I'm suggesting maybe they were grumbling and arguing. You know, there's a, a bit of a lack of joy there. And Paul's remedy to them is that beautiful poem in chapter 2, have the mindset of Christ who did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but he made himself nothing. He took on the form of a servant. He laid down his life out of love for another. And I can hear Jesus' voice echoing in the background. Yeah, and the reason I'm telling you this is that your, my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. It's, it's, it's growing in the mindset of Christ, of serving one another. And I'm just challenged by, and I'm sure there's 101 ways that that could present itself, but even just as a beginning, to grow in that mindset and these opportunities will make themselves apparent. How can we grow in this? Well, for starters, it's, 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 it's looking to the needs of other people. Amen? Moving on to verse 19. For I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I know, just listen to this, I know that what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I know that what has happened to me what you're going through now, I know that what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. What is Paul saying here? It's quite a dense verse, and it's easy to hear what he's not saying. He isn't simply saying that his hope is to be released from prison because it's all going to work out okay. What he is saying, as one commentator puts it, The basis of Paul's encouragement is not merely that things will turn out all right in spite of the problems, but that the problems themselves assist us in our Christian experience. So it's not just that Paul wishes to be freed from this dungeon, free from these trials, but actually his hope and expectation is that Christ will be glorified and honoured through them. Do you catch that? And so N.T. Wright can say of Paul, that he had been humbled under the weight of suffering. Remember Paul's calling. What did Jesus say? I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. And there is Paul, humbled under the weight of that. And in that place, says N.T. Wright, uh, second quote there, he pondered the fact that this was the means by which, through which, Jesus had attained his exaltation as Lord. So he can write in Philippians 2, he humbled himself, Jesus, by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross, therefore he obtained glory and honor and the name that is above every other name. And it's not just that Jesus' suffering was a rite of passage or a hurdle that he must jump over. It was actually the the very thing that worked to attain his glory, his glorification. That, that's, that's hard for us to walk through, but that is exactly what happened to Jesus. I mean, today, think about it, we, we sing, we praise, we give thanks for our king being publicly butchered in utter shame and mockery. Now, at face value on its own, 
That doesn't sound like something worth celebrating. I mean, the disciples the next day, they weren't celebrating. In fact, on its own, it would almost feel quite sadistic to, to celebrate and worship that. But we do rejoice, we do glory in it, because in Christ's sufferings, we achieved our forgiveness, our salvation, our adoption as sons and daughters, it achieved eternal life. Now, in a similar and challenging way, we are called to rejoice even in and through our trials because of what God is working in and through us. Now, we know that Jesus' sufferings achieved things that only Jesus' sufferings could achieve. Please don't hear what I'm not saying. I mean, he was the perfect and spotless lamb of God and his sacrifice took away the sins of the world. Our sufferings are not, you know, working out a little bit more of, you know, forgiveness or salvation. You know, they're not sort of, not that sort of purgatory experience over there. We don't want to go there. But in avoiding that, we can't get away from the fact that Jesus does and is using our trials and using our struggles and, yes, even using our sickness to bring about good things in our life. And I was just even reminded, actually, as I was preparing this preach, when I was about 11 or 12 years old, I had severe boils all over my body for about 18 months. And it's like I would get over one batch and then I would break out in another and I'd have about 20 boils all over my body. I'd just look at my mum in tears and go, they're back. You know, and it was like, yeah, as a boy that was hard, but it's like I know that God was working something in and through that, you know, <laughs> and, and I had to... I don't really remember much as a boy what I was thinking about my faith and grappling with these sort of things. But even in that time, I can look at that and say, God, somehow you are bringing about something good through that. Romans 8 says, The Spirit bears witness that we are God's children. And if children, then we are heirs. We have an inheritance. Amazing blessings. Provided... I want to say it's all love and sensitivity because I know that people are genuinely going through things, provided we suffer with him in order that we may be glorified with him. In other words, and somehow in Christ, our sufferings will work towards our glorification. But how did Paul walk this line? I mean, that is... It's not an easy thing to walk, is it? This fine line, this tension, this balance. How do we, how do we rejoice in our sufferings? I mean, like, you know, um, I've, I've shared this from the front before, but uh, after, our second, uh, after our second child, uh, Evelyn, was born, um, we, had a, we went through a miscarriage. And it's like, how do you rejoice in that time? You know, how, how, do, you, how do you walk through that and, and give thanks to God in that kind of situation? It's hard because it doesn't feel like something like that could be the will of a loving father. Well, we, there's a few, I don't have all the answers to that, but there are a few lessons we can learn in this text himself, itself. First of all, verses 12 to 14, Paul finds reasons for thankfulness and gratefulness. He says, what has happened to me has advanced the gospel, has grown the courage of others, has resulted in the prison being hearing about Christ. So the first thing that we can do is give thanks for what we can see God working in and through our current situation. We can give thanks.
thanks. And in that, we can learn it is possible to be blessed with good things through a hard thing. But at the same time, what I see in in Paul is as he's going through this, at the same time, it's okay for us to pray and trust and contend to be delivered and healed of the very thing that we are uh, being thankful for, if you know what I mean. We don't don't just say, well, it's God's will, so I'll stop praying about it. Now, even Jesus himself in the Garden of Gethsemane, before he's about to go to the cross, in complete agony, he says, Lord, if there's any way, let this cup of suffering pass from me. Even then in Christ, we see that it's okay to pray for deliverance for the very thing that is bringing about something good in our life. And there is a tension there, isn't there? But we see it in Christ. So Hebrews 5 can say, although Jesus was a son, dearly loved, blessed, adored, you know, blessing upon blessing, even though he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And ultimately he was delivered even through death. So what I see is that we are to maintain a, a, a stance of thankfulness, but we are to pray and trust for deliverance through it without losing hope. Yet with Christ's help, we are ready to suffer and learn obedience even if things don't work out the way that we expected to. And in this, we follow Christ <laughs> because he went to the, he went to the cross. He, he went through the ultimate trial, the ultimate suffering, and he gives us strength to go through our own. I'm like, man, it sounds pretty hard and it's getting a little bit heavy in the room. So it's like, how do we do this? Because Jesus said his burden was light and easy. So how do we go through this? Well, the two things that I can see are in this verse itself. Through your prayers and the provision of the Spirit of Christ. The Spirit of Christ. Te wairua o ihu karaiti. So I want to start with, just quickly to close, go over these two ways that we can walk through this. Verse 19 talks about the, or some translations say, the help of the Spirit. But it's better translated the supply of the Spirit, because it doesn't just include help, but the supply of God by His Spirit. Because God doesn't just give us help, He gives us Himself. And of course that means he's helping us, but he's, he, his very presence is with us. And that is so, so important. And that's what Paul is saying. Through this, I can, I can get through you know, being locked away in a dungeon, in the rule of Nero, in a horrible situation. I can get through that, and I will continue to rejoice through the supply of the Spirit with me. Because he gives us of himself. So as he calls us to lay our life down for others, to give ourselves to others, the Father promises to give us of himself. His presence with us and in us. You know how the Bible talks about us being the temple, uh, which is like the the dwelling place of God? Well, I was reading recently, uh, if I've read this correctly, that the word for temple is not the word for the, the whole you know, the whole complex of the temple. But it was very specific, the word for the inner sanctuary, the place where God, behind the curtain, dwelled by his spirit physically. And that is who we are, individually and as the church. 
It's not just that we're the hustle bustle of religious, you know, life. No, 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 that's what, not, not what it means to be the temple. What it means to be the temple is to be the dwelling place of God's Spirit, where God fully and bodily dwells in us by His Holy Spirit, by the Spirit of Jesus Christ. And it's that presence that helps us to walk the seemingly impossible life, which is to follow Christ and take up our cross and follow Him. It's that. It's that. And in that place, I mean, can't we all you know, put our hands up and, 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 and sort of testify at times of, of, of a deep conviction of an experience of God's love in these times of trial. You know, and and, and there's, there is an intimacy, there is a, there is a fellowship, there is a, there is a closeness in these times that it's like <laughs> it couldn't be possible at any other times it feels like. He doesn't leave us as orphans, he is with us. He is, as the psalmist says, our ever-present help in times of trouble. The other reason, another reason why the, uh, the Holy Spirit is so, uh, is so important in these times is that our future deliverance, our future salvation is guaranteed because the Father has made a down payment of the Spirit in our life now. And it's like the Father, He has promised to bring about salvation. He has promised that one day, you know, that one day the sickness will be no more, the lion will lie with the lamb, you know, it's like there will be no more sickness, no more tears, nothing like that. Uh, You'll live in a new body, it will be glorious and I promise that, and it's going to be the case, and I'm going, to da- I'm going to make a down payment of my presence in you now as a guarantee of what's to come. And that is our certain hope. That's what it talks about our hope. It's a, a hope of resurrection, life, and future. It's, 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 it's a guarantee of what is to come. And the Father says, I'm going to give you of myself to remind you now that no matter what you're going through, I'm going to carry you through because that is the ultimate destination. That is the ultimate goal. So one commentator can say of Paul that even though, even though he knows the theory through and through, it means nothing without the awareness of the person and presence of Jesus himself. And that he has learned this personal knowledge of the Messiah. He has learned that it finds intimate expression in a place of suffering. You know, at, Ch- at King's Church, that's why we value the Holy Spirit. That's why we value Wairuatapu. That's why we make space for him. That's why we teach on the baptism of the Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit. It's not that just we need these things to be a charismatic church so we look different than everyone else. No, it's that we need him. It's that we need the Spirit. I mean, I painted a pretty, maybe perhaps a pretty bleak picture a few minutes ago, but it's like, you know, with the help of the Spirit, we can get through. With God himself in and through you, he can carry you through, even with joy even with joy. So we, at Kings, we value the Holy Spirit. We make space. Oh, Father, come and fill us even now, we pray. The second thing that Paul utterly needs is the prayers of others. What's really interesting is both sources of help to carry Paul through this time come from outside of Paul. You know what I mean? It's not like, okay, I'm going to go into my introspective state right now. I'm going to come out with all the answers. It's like, no, you're not. You need other people. It's not an individual endeavor. So Gordon Fee can say, Paul does not think of the Christian life as lived in isolation from others. Or another commentator says, it's a sobering thought that our spiritual relationship with God 
is not purely an individualistic concern. We are dependent on the Spirit's power in answer to the prayers of God's people. And again, that's why at Kings we value and love church community. It's so much more than just, you know, coming along so that, you know, you do your thing. No, it's, it's together. Together you are being built into the temple. It's together. So we value connect groups, and we seek to protect them and nurture them. We, we value dinners with one another. You know, we, we value deep friendships. We value being authentic with one another. Because you, unless you can get close enough to someone to know what's really going on, it's like, how do you pray and, and, and support that person? So authenticity is one of our culture words up there. Drop the masks to let people know how you're getting on. You will find love as you do. So one way that we can practically lay down a life for another person is to pray for them. Is to pray that God would strengthen them with courage. It takes courage. It takes courage not just to you know, stand up the front and, and you know, like, you know, do something bold and amazing. No, it takes courage to eagerly expect and hope that we won't be ashamed despite appearances, despite what's going on in life, to face these sufferings, even when we're praying for them to shift and they don't, it takes courage to say God is working in and through this and I'm just laying it all at his feet, even if it means he is teaching me obedience through suffering. It takes courage to do that. We need to pray for courage for one another. We need to pray for joy for one another. Lord, strengthen that person. I know what they're going through. Lord, give them joy. Speak to them about you know, how much you love them. Give them a deep sense of peace. We need to pray for one another. So that is, this is a couple of ways just there. Through your prayers and the provision of God's spirit, what has happened to me will turn out for my Deliverance. It feels like a bit of a crime. The very next verse is like one of the most famous in the New Testament. You know, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And it's like, you could say so much about that, but I think we've unpacked something of the uh, of the mindset of Christ that you know you can read that and kind of get what he's saying. But it's all summed up. Everything is summed up in that phrase. For me, to live is Christ. And the only thing I'll say on that is that when you think about for me to live is Christ, what, you know, what, does, it mean, what does it mean to live for Christ? Well, to live for Christ means exactly what we've been talking about today. To, mean to, um, to live is, is to die. You know, to, to, to follow Christ is to lay down our life. To follow Christ is to put other, needs, other people's needs before ourselves. For him, to live is to live this way. That's why Dietrich Bonhoeffer can say, when Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. That's what it means to follow Christ. But as we do that, we find the joy of the Holy Spirit, we find the strength of the presence of, of the Holy Spirit with us, and, and, as, and, and as we're strengthened through, through prayer as well. So I'll just, because I want to keep, we won't hang on that for too long. So just to recap, Joy is a, a, is, a, is a mindset even in, even in our trials. And we can find a deep and inner sense of joy in Christ as we do lots of things, but in particular as we love and serve others. We can pray and trust God in trials, giving thanks to him, praying that he will shift it, but, trusting that he, uh, but still trusting in him. And even yet being ready 
to learn obedience through suffering if things don't quite work out how we'd hope. But we'd never lose hope because of what he has guaranteed for us. And, and we walk this way through the supply of the Holy Spirit and through the prayers of others. So these are some things that I've been learning as I've studied this passage, and I hope you can pick up one or two things from that as well. I hope that it blesses you, and I, I hope and pray that you know, I shared that with the compassionate heart and love that I, that I know that I have and hard sometimes to communicate such a difficult topic. But can we just stand in response and just pray and ask for more joy, more of the Spirit, more of an awareness for others? And then what I want to do is once we've done a bit of a general response, I know that there'll be very real situations that people are going through. Very difficult. You're in the thick of it right now. You're up against it. You know, you're, you're there and it's like the Red Sea's right in front of you. The army's behind you. And I don't want to, I don't want to leave without an opportunity for people to gather around you to pray for you, to pray for your strengthening and to pr pray for the supply of the Holy Spirit. So why don't we just put our hands out and I'll just pray a, a general prayer for all of us. And then if you need prayer, we're going to give you an opportunity to respond. But also if you, if, if you need to gather the kids as well, that gives you an opportunity to go out and do that too. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your word. Thank you for this mindset that is ours in Christ. Thank you for a deep sense of joy that is available in Christ. Thank you that there is nothing that can separate us from your love. And we can say that all, you will work all things together for our good. Lord, let us dwell on these truths. Let us dwell on your promises. Lord, as we hold you to them, as we hold to you, as we hold on to you. Father, and we pray and ask you for more joy. Lord, not a counterfeit joy of the world, but a genuine deep sense of peace and joy in our life. Lord, let us frame everything that we do in this joy. As we know that we are dearly loved children. As we know that we have a community that loves us. As we know that we can lay down our life and find our joy as you did. Lord, we ask you for more joy. Holy Spirit, wairua tapu. Joy, being a fruit of the Spirit in our life. We ask you for more. We ask you for more. Lord, we receive more of you. Lord, more of your Spirit in our life, we pray. Lord, that we would know that you are in us, that you are with us, that you are for us. Lord, grow an increasing measure of an awareness of the Spirit, that we might know the heights, the depths of your great love for us, that you are with us, that you are for us, that we in you we can overcome. Lord, and give us a greater awareness of other people around us, of their needs, that we might pray for them, that we might encourage them, that we might strengthen them. Open opportunities, even this week, Father, to see the need of one person and show them love as we serve them. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. We receive from you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. 
Father. Now, if you, you know that if you're in the thick of it right now and you know that you need God's provision of the Spirit, you know, or even that you don't know what you need, you just know you need help. Well, be encouraged that this church is for you, it loves you, and help is here, support is here. And so if that's you, I'll just encourage you just to raise a hand or to go and give someone a hug, put your hand on someone's shoulder and just in little huddles, just just pray for a strengthening of the Holy Spirit. Pray for joy in that situation. Pray for strength and courage. Because you don't have to do this on your own. Paul didn't have to do it on his own. You don't have to do it on your own. So I'm just going to, so Jack's just going to continue playing. I'm just going to shuffle left off stage. And I'd encourage you to be the church, support and love one another. Again, if that's you, show courage. Raise your hand and ask him to pray for you. And we will, we will rush and pray with you that God would support you through this time. Please don't forget the kids as well. They will need to be gathered shortly. But I think we've got a couple of minutes. <laughs> Amen. Don't miss the opportunity. God is here. This is a massive subject.